Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming. I'm Jared Lumen, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association. Today we're talking to a friend of mine living just down the road who really isn't afraid to try anything that might help move his farm forward. His focus on soil health and regenerative agriculture sets him apart in the industry. We also have Alan Kraus of the Clean River Partners, a lead in the research project done on Caleb's farm around Kernza. We're going to dig into Caleb's diverse farm and then share what they found researching and experimenting with Kernza for the last three years. So Caleb and Alan, welcome to the Dirt Rich Podcast. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for having Thanks, Jared. us. Yeah. No, I'm excited to have you guys on. Uh, Caleb's <clears throat> farm, it, you know, I've been to it a few times. I'm always impressed by all you can manage to do and, and keep on top of. And I'm sure it didn't all of a sudden just start out, you know, getting to where you are today. So maybe let's go back. Talk about your farm history, how your family ended up where you are and why, you know, how you got to a point where you focus so much on soil health and why it's such a big priority to you. Sure, sure. Well, just, I mean, I guess going way back, you know, I'm a third generation farmer here on on this land. My grandfather bought the home farm in um, 1945. Dad took over in the early 90s. And then I kind of, it's been a farm transition for like the last six years, seven years in terms of ownership. Obviously, the operator, uh, you know, me being a principal operator has been longer than that. You know, traditionally, it was a, you know, through the 90s, I would say it was a pretty traditional run farm, you know, heavy tillage, heavy chemical. I grew up, that's, I, you know, I, I grew up doing those things. I didn't know any better. And I, I, I never, I didn't really like what I saw. You know, we had uh, cattle set stocked in our pastures, uh, so continuously grazed. I saw a lot of erosion. I saw a lot of environmental issues that I just didn't want to be associated with or a part of. And I always joked with my dad. I said, as soon as I take over the farm, cattle are going on a trailer and I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know, turn the, turn it into like a pheasant farm or something. I mean, like we're going to have grass and <laughs> yeah. I just, I grew up despising cattle and, and now it's like mm-hmm. um, the one enterprise that I always look for ways to stack. I always look for, you know, how can I incorporate my cows into every acre on our farm? But I think our, like the soil health journey in particular, you know, really started with my grandfather. He, he bought this farm because it was a pretty, it was a rented out farm for years back in the twenties and the thirties. So it was pretty deteriorated at that point. He took over uh, and purchased it and put in contour strips and incorporated in uh, crop rotation, which consisted, of course, back then of small grains, alfalfa. And they were able to raise, it was a family of 13. It was, you know, they had, my dad is one of of 11 on on the home farm here, which is originally 185 acres. And that's always like an impressive number for me because it's like, you know, to be able to do something like that and, you know, look at how things have changed in the last 75 years, yeah. you know, how things are, are different. And I, I got <clears throat> really involved when I graduated college, came home, actually was the house, my grandfather's house. I, I, I moved into my grandfather's house uh, here and really looking for a way to get plugged into the farming enterprise. But at that time, my dad really didn't want to relinquish any control of, of, 
the mm. row crops and of what he was doing and the decision making there. But he he seemed more than willing to hand over the reins with the cattle, which was ironic because, <laughs> like I said, back to my original comment was, was like, ah. Uh, so I I went to a few conferences and and I talked to a few farmers. And I realized, you know, very quickly, obviously that it was it was the management that was the issue and not not particularly mm-hmm. the, the cattle's fault. So it actually started the soil health journey started with a very simple goal of just re- reducing the obvious environmental impacts that we can see, you know, and that the most obvious one being soil erosion. We you know, we only have so much soil on our farm and I don't I do not like seeing it run off into into lakes, river streams, you know, wherever it ends up. So I put in, I would say, like macro grazing paddocks, you know, fairly large subdivisions of the, you know, the much larger pasture as a whole. And I worked with the USDA on that at the time or soil and water. And I would say that's the kind of the infancy or this, you know, starting level of grazing management you know we were at the time we were moving cattle once a week and that was like wow look at this you know we're moving cattle once a week this is crazy you know compared to you know never (laughs) so they would just go out in the fall go out in the spring and come bring them back in the fall and that was it you know we had a you know back in the 90s you know we would uh finish cattle in a feedlot and that kind of ties back into you know we were finishing cattle in a in a feedlot, of course, is a heavy heavy grain diet, heavy corn based diet, and that was an area that my dad wanted me to take over as well. And I I really didn't like what I saw, so that wasn't something that I instantly changed. Was looking at grass based finishing cattle as well. So, and when when was this? Right now, I don't, maybe I missed you say when what? you started kind of taking these transitions or making these transitions. So be about. Oh, oh, six is, or oh, six is when I moved on to the farm full time here. And it was pretty quickly after that, that some of the original changes were made. Oh, seven, I think we installed the, the, all the perimeter fencing. And I think we shut, you know, stopped grain finishing cattle in oh, eight. Mm-hmm. So it's been a few years, but it's been a journey in terms of the soil health. You know, the more I've, more we've peeled the onion back, the more I've realized how much more I need to know, learn. Yeah. And that's been, that's been exciting. And, but just to circle back, I guess, on what we're currently doing, you know, we, we try to have as diverse a farm as possible, but we're still conventionally based. You know, we're the centerpiece on our farm is, is grass finished beef that we sell to the Twin Cities market area, but we're also raising you know, traditional corn, soybeans. Of course, we've got Kernza. We do a lot of alfalfa. We've got small grains with rye and oats. But, you know, we're always looking for other crops to to grow. Mm-hmm. We, we incorporate full season annual crops that we will finish our animals on, finish our steers on. And so, you know, it's a, that's planted in the, in the spring at, 13 to depending on the year you know 15 16 way mix that we finish Mm -hmm. our finish our animals on and that's part of the the crop rotation as well or 
we've tried to make it part of the crop rotation as well. So that's done on not, I don't like using the, the T word, tillable land. Um, we're no till, yeah. so <laughs> cash crop yeah. land. Um, that's a, that's a good point. Something I hadn't even considered is the, the verbiage we, the term terminology we use. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, and to step back, I guess that, you know, I've bounced around a little bit for that on, on that, Jared, and I apologize. You know, our, I mentioned our soil health journey is it's matured over the years. And some of that just comes with, you know, as you learn and, and you're able to implement different practices. So it takes a while to turn, I don't know if it's quite the Titanic, but, you know, it takes a while to, to, to make a change and, to implement those changes. And so initially, you know, the grazing changes are pretty quick and those are, you know, we've learned a lot and now we're moving cattle, you know, daily or twice daily. And those are fairly simple to, to implement versus, you know, we've gone to no-till and hundred percent cover crops on our, all of our land that we manage. Yeah. Well, I, I love that like you, I appreciate you sharing kind of where you're at today because it is impressive and it's cool. I mean, you're talking no-till, cover crops, diverse rotations, moving cattle, but I really appreciate how you started with just that first step of like, and, and how you addressed it too is, uh, like you said, the visual the visual issues of what you're seeing was what you wanted to address, the the erosion being that main one. And just a simple change from continuous grazing to moving, you know, paddocks once a week. And for people who are maybe not to the point yet where they're fully understanding everything and they hear you talk about no-till, cover crops, diversity, all these things that it can be kind of overwhelming is that this journey didn't just all of a sudden go from, you know, point A to point Z. I mean, it was every step along the way. Absolutely. It's been that for, you know, for the last 12, 13 years here. And I see that the next 12 to 13 years again, you know, I, I think if we were to look back, you know, back in 2021, you know, how, how different things will be on our farm. It's a soil health journey, you know, and the mm-hmm. more we learn, the, you know, the more we're, we'll look at making changes. And the, the neat thing is, is, you know, we've, we have, you know, a larger land mass that's under our management now. And the, the neat thing is, is we can implement those, those, all the things we've learned on those new acres uh, you know, year one, day one. So that, that's pretty neat to see how quickly different, you know, the, the land can respond as compared to, you know, something when, you know, it's like looking at yourself in the mirror every day, you know, you don't see the fact that you're 10, 12 years older and you, all those wrinkles. Right. But, you know, and so you, <laughs> you, know, you go over, you, you, you go over to this other new, new area and, and, you, you know, you can, you can implement those changes pretty quickly and then, and see some of those, the, the effects, uh, more rapid real time. So that's been neat to see as well. I bet that's, that's so cool. And things like you said, when you started, you probably didn't even think to observe and see a lot of the things that you are now able to observe starting from scratch on a new land base that, you know, I mean, what a cool opportunity that, like you said, you look back 12 years ago, you, you didn't even think about, but you get to see everyday changes now and, and you know what to look for that you didn't know what to look for when you first started. Yeah. And it, it's also opened up doors, Jared, in this area, um, the practices that we're talking about, no-till cover crops, it's not a common practice. You know, there's, there's a lot of acres 
that are, you know, broad acre tillage. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of land around here that, that's still under plow. And some landowners have taken notice and, and we're definitely the oddballs out. But the neat thing is, is that, you know, I'm getting landowners to ask questions uh, and other farmers to ask questions of, hey, you know, wondering what you got going on there. Um, especially, you know, if they see me out doing something, they'll stop. <laughs> and, and, you know, the curio- curiosity factor is, is definitely there. And um, mm-hmm. so it's been neat to see. Yeah. And it was, it was evident that you're gaining a you know, attraction and interest at the field day we did at your place when there had to be a couple hundred people show up. And gosh, I wish I could go into depth more on all the different things in your transition. We'll have to have you come back on again. But I want to talk specifically today about the Kernza that you did too. And why, you know, why Kernza? What is Kernza? Um, what, why did it appeal to you and your, your, your farming business? Like, why did you feel that it was something that would be worth trying? Yeah, I always, well, Kernza is a, is an intermediate wheatgrass that has been around for a, for a significant amount of time. And it's a crop that the land Institute was working on developing to allow, you know, more of a food production from a, you know, non-traditional source. So I always like to term it as perennial wheat-like plant. So it produces a, a grain seed about the third the size of wheat. That's where some of the, you know, there's some similarities and obviously, you know, major differences there. But what attracted me to Kearns in particular, well, I, uh, I'm always willing to try something new. So I wanted to, wanted to incorporate something that would add more diversity to our farm, something that we haven't done before. And also to have, you know, perennial base agriculture is really intriguing to me. I think that's that's ultimately where where agriculture will probably need to to trend towards, uh, especially in higher, you know, rotable land areas, you know, that that have potential of runoff either from soil or nutrients into into our streams and rivers and groundwater and so which yeah. happens to be like all of your land base, right? Yeah, yeah, we're we're in the driftless here in southeast Minnesota, um, in Goodyear County. So our land flows into the Bell Creek watershed, and it's all rolling. I really love our farm. I, I wouldn't change anything about it. I, I see, you know, south of us, there's it's it opens up and it's flat, and you know the fields are much larger. But I I just have a just an, an appreciation for the change in topography and, and incorporating and working with what we have and nature that's here on a, on a smaller scale. And so that's why we're having a, a ruminant animal such as, you know, beef cows here on this land makes a lot of sense uh, for us. Back to Kearns in particular, I, I've, I think I've said it before, but I, I've said, I didn't really find Kearns, Kearns have found me. I, I got a uh, cold call from someone at the University of Minnesota Forever Green, the Forever Green Initiative. And I, I don't even recall who it was or how, how they got my information is more than likely through the land stewardship project. And I talked for a bit about, or they, they informed me a bit about Kernza and 
this, you know, this, this crop and, and they were having a, a trial at the, at, I think their Umore Park in Rosemont there. And, and it, that was kind of like, per, you know, first time, you know, hearing about the crop. And then it got brought up, I think, at an LSP meeting. You may have been there at this, our soil health steering so. committee meeting um, back. That was, I don't even know how long ago that was. Yeah. I think I remember thinking this seems kind of ridiculous, <laughs> like <laughs> whether this can't happen. I don't know. Yeah. So long ago and here you are, but yeah, no worries. And then the, the last one, Alan, I think you called me, uh, you know, we had just met uh, via email and phone and uh, I was inquiring about grazing opportunities. And then you, you said, Hey, I, I don't have anything along those lines, but I've got this research project that, you know, looking for somebody to do some grazing on. And so I, I figured, well, that's the third time. And like, it was not that long a span of time, you know, six months that, you know, that this crop had been brought up to me. So I'm like, why not? Let's do it. So that's where we, yeah, I got, got going on that. So yeah. And maybe this is a, a good opportunity to bring Alan into this conversation and, and maybe introduce yourself, Alan, and the organization you work with and, you know, maybe bring us back to that cold call to Caleb or whatever that conversation with Caleb is that, that you had on Kernza in the first place and why you, why you even considered him as a potential to work with. Yeah, well, that's asking me to stretch my memory probably farther than it's going to stretch, uh, Jared. Um, yeah, well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be a part of this conversation. and It's been a pleasure to work with uh, Caleb on this project, uh, quite honestly. And so, again, I'm Alan Krause, and I'm the conservation program manager here with the, a small nonprofit organization located in Northfield called Clean River Partners. And we do a lot of different things with a, a lot of different organizations. Uh, we work with City of Faribault and City of Northfield, for example, on stormwater programs. Um, but a big part of our work uh, is the conservation program. And we do some work with uh, um, land protection uh, and habitat restoration. And we do just, in fact, uh, a lot. We do some uh, water testing. Uh, research uh, related to uh, what cover crops can do for nitrogen and nitrate reduction in, in uh, tile drainage water. And then this uh, this project uh, that we have going with Caleb uh, and another farmer, Dan Hunkin, over here in Rice County, uh, working with the University of Minnesota and the Department of Agriculture on this uh, developing crop called Kernza. And yeah, quite honestly, Caleb, as you were describing how you came to know what Kernza is and that initial conversation that you and I had, I cannot recall uh, how it was that <laughs> I came to know Caleb Anderson's name, uh, but it must have been through one of the, the mutual counterparts that we have, either through the Forever Green Initiative people there at the University of Minnesota or through SFA or LSP. But I'm sure glad that we did. Uh, get to know each other back in 2018 to get this project going. Uh, we've really learned a lot, frankly, about uh, the dual uses of Kernza. So Kernza, as Caleb described, is is a perennial uh, grass crop. It's been uh, in the United States for a long time. Uh, primarily was used in CRP uh, mixes, hmm. you know, for so conservation reserve program mixes. So it lasts a long time. It's a a grass crop that yeah. uh, can stay in the ground for a long, long time. It's a really deep rooting uh, plant. Can, it roots, you know, 10 to 11 feet deep. 
Uh, we did a soil pit out at Caleb's farm to show what that root mass can look like. It's just really impressive. And so Caleb talked earlier about soil erosion control. Well, you can see it with, with uh, this crop of Kernza, right? I mean, it's, it's fantastic to see what it can do uh, in terms of holding that soil in place. And Caleb has got a really interesting and neat little story about a, a heavy rain event uh, while he was grazing the Kernza plots that we had there with the with pretty intense cattle pressure. And uh, I recall Caleb, you saying that under any other circumstances, this would have been a complete restart. Uh, and, uh, you know, here we were. Uh, that was in 2018, I think it was. And, you know, we're, he's going to be harvesting Kernza there next year in 2022, you know, Kernza for grain. And, and uh, we grazed uh, this, this crop uh, three years in a row now, and we'll continue grazing and following through for another year. So I can go into the details of the project and the findings. Jared, if that's what you like. Yeah, I, I want to get into that, but I'm curious to hear the story from Caleb's perspective. Uh, the the heavy rainfall, maybe share that's that's really intriguing, and I mean that's what we want to hear. And maybe give a little more context to your farm topography. You you talked about it briefly being rolling and stuff, but there's some pretty intense stuff and and rainfalls like this sounds like could be dangerous. So uh, not dangerous, but could be damaging. Talk about this this story and the experience that you had in that rainfall. Well, yeah. Any, well, I guess anytime you're you're grouping up large herds of, of beef cattle, you've got the propensity for damage if we get a significant rain event. And, you know, on perennial sod pastures that have been established for years, you know, they you can see the those effects in a, a certain period of time afterwards. You know, we try to speed up our cattle moves in this particular instance. And I'm trying to recall the exact I know it was it was greater than two inches of rain, you know, in that 24-hour period while we were out grazing in the Kernza. And I just thought we're going to have a crop failure with, uh, you know, just established, you know, getting this crop going. And, and Al, do you remember, was that the following spring? It was the, actually, it was the, it was the fall grazing of uh, 2019. So you had harvested the first grain crop in August of 2019. And then we put the cattle out there and, um, and we got a late season uh, rain event. So at this point in time, basically talking new, uh, you know, new seeding type and environment of a crop that's only planted at 11 pounds an acre. <laughs> and so we were out there, you know, the, that following, you know, first harvest and, I was very surprised at how well the kerns are held together. You know, we did have some areas that were that were noticeably damaged. I've got some. I shared some pictures with Al where we had the exclosures. You know, part of the study, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about those in, in in a bit. But we have areas where we where we don't allow the cattle to go. Of course, that creates corners and and things that cattle have to walk around. And in doing so, you know it those higher traffic areas were really to the eye damaged, uh, you know, but, uh, following spring, everything, you wouldn't even know we were out there. So it was, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see how quickly the crop can get established and, and act like, you know, more of a traditional sod based perennial, you know, pasture type. Well, I'm, I'm interested in in these stories because you have a couple of rain stories. It was you that 
uh, in in the podcast we did last week with Katie, I shared how this summer my dad and I got caught out in a rainstorm. And while I took that opportunity to go look and see what was actually happening on the soil in that rain. And I never would have thought of that. Probably any other year I would have been like, get in a shed, get out of this rain and stuff. But it was you that had told me about one complete torrential downpour where you for some reason got the nerve to run outside and check it out and experience because that's the only time you'll actually see what happens in a rain and so on on your land base it, it's neat to neat to see how many observations and how how you truly are building a resilient soil system to rainfall which is probably one of your more serious or credible threats to your your land base being in the terrain that you're on but well in this year in particular um you know it was more of the opposite you know we Mm-hmm. You know, we, we experienced a drought in, in 2021 and we, we did have rainfall events in those, but the time period between those rainfall events was significant. So, uh, we want every drop of rain that falls on our farm to stay here, whether, you know, we're getting 40 inches of rain that year or 60 or 20. Um, so we want mm-hmm. whatever, whatever we get to stay, to stay on our farm. Yeah. And that, in that particular instance, yeah, it was, <laughs> I think anyone probably would have grabbed their raincoat and jumped out and started running around because to see where, as I was driving home, that it was, a uh, it was this, uh, significant rain event. So it was a plus, you know, four to five inch rain event in this particular day, the ground was completely saturated and, and overland flow of water was evident everywhere. And witnessed that on some neighboring fields and that got my curiosity when I got home. I wanted to see exactly where everything, what was occurring and one, you know, to see exactly how that water was flowing, if it was and and how much. And I guess I was pleasantly surprised to see, you know, the beneficial impacts of some of the improvements that we've made were definitely evident that day. So... I do not, however, think that is something that a lot of people would do. <laughs> Most people would probably stand back from the windows and you chose to run outside. But uh, <laughs> it, it is interesting, though. You're right on with like, and, and, and I'll share it again, just because I think it's important to realize that I, I would say most people probably don't even realize, you know, this summer was dry. I'm 10 miles, 15 miles from where you're at. And we had been without rain for three, four weeks when my dad and I got stuck out in the rain and we took that opportunity. We were already soaked to just look and see what was happening on our land and the neighbor's land. And, you know, it was only a half an inch of rain. One would think that with no rain and three or four weeks and a half an inch of rain that everything would soak in. But yet the neighbor's bean field had streams of water running down in between the rows of beans and and ours just wasn't moving. And so, you know, that I I would not have done that had you not told me that story of running out (laughs) in your raincoat. And I appreciate it because to me, that was one of the most, you know, proof and evidence of, you know, what we're doing here is, is, yeah, there's, there's a lot of pieces to it, but just on a year like this, when you think the soil's dry, it's a sponge, it'll soak it all up. You know, it's, it may or may not. And we really do need to prepare our soils to capture every drop. So I appreciate that, that words of wisdom. I will say I got hailed on out in that storm. So maybe it was stupid anyway, (laughs) Um, but but it was worth it for what we saw. I want to come back to Alan now though, in this research project, maybe talk about how you got tied into wanting to actually do a research project on this uh, and and then just talk through the the findings. Yeah. Yeah. Jared. So you know, just like everyone else, you know, when you hear about something that 
uh, it sounds almost too good to be true. You, you, it piques your curiosity. Uh, you know, I, I dairy farmed for 25 years in Wisconsin, and I remember picking up a, a newspaper article out of uh, St. Paul that talked about perennial wheat. And I said, wait a minute, those two things don't go together. You know, wheat <laughs> is not a perennial. <laughs> and, and so I thought there had to be some quirky thing to whatever this was. And, and, uh, and I read on uh, about it. And this is a branded named product called Kernza. And, and as Caleb described, you know, it's, uh, it's intermediate wheatgrass that was developed by uh, the Land Institute to have a grain production that makes it economically viable to harvest that grain. So a, a, a brand new food grade grain on the marketplace, um, something that University of Minnesota is heavily involved in and working on and trying to develop. And I kind of let it there for a little bit. And um, one of the people who is on the board of directors of this, of this organization called me up one day and asked me, what do I know about Kernza? Probably about two weeks after I read that article and uh, <laughs> said that, you know, he's thinking about growing Kernza. And he knew quite a bit. He knew Jake Youngers at the University of Minnesota and so on and so forth. And so, you know, just out of the sheer interest as a farmer, past farmer, I decided to call Jake Youngers at the University of Minnesota. And and I grazed as a, you know, my dairy cattle, we grazed all the time too. And and so I asked about that aspect of Kernza. You know, is this forage production, can it be grazed? And he said, well, actually, that's an area of research that we that we really do want to do yet. We don't know a whole lot about grazing Kernza and also harvesting the grain. Turned out the university also has done some grazing trials at one of their research stations using dairy cattle, actually young dairy replacement cattle. So they have some good data that they've collected here now in the interim as well. But of course, they were not doing a specific grazing project where we're looking at in terms of grain yield. Uh, or the impact of grazing on grain yield. Uh, and that was the focus of this project. Uh, Caleb, I mentioned, is part, uh, uh, just two growers uh, here in our area that, that were part of this project. It's a three-year project. It began in 2018. Was, grain was planted in August of 2018. So the process of growing Kernza is the, the planting season is late summer, uh, very early fall. So, uh, you know, when you, you want to get it in before, say, the 10th of September. Uh, but not too early. Uh, well, I take it back. You can plant Kernza as early as you know May or uh, or even early June as any traditional crop, but you will not, and it'll grow up and, and provide forage for that year, but it will not pro provide any grain until the following year. And so the idea is maybe you can grow a short season cash crop like barley or wheat or oats uh, or peas or maybe even an early harvest sweet corn, and follow that then with a planting of Kernza in either real late August or very, very early September. And then that will overwinter, as Caleb knows, it'll come up and turn green. It'll scare you because it doesn't look like there's much crop out there, but it's producing that massive root growth underneath as opposed to putting a lot of plant up on top. And so, um, it's planted in the fall, it overwinters, and then in the spring, it's one of the very first crops that will green up, uh, sort of like um, uh, winter camelina is a very early greening crop in spring, and so is uh, cereal rye, uh, winter triticale. Those are crops that green up really fast, 
And the Kernza is a lot like that in spring. And then this project uh, was designed to do a spring grazing before the August harvest. So I'm sorry, the, uh, the, the crop will mature by late July, early August. Uh, the grain crop will be mature uh, and you can harvest the, the grain at that time. There's a straw, if you will, of, you know, the forage matter that's left over after the grain harvest is available for, for collecting and harvesting. So there's a straw harvest. And then in the fall, it'll regrow again so that by late October, early uh, November, you can do another grazing in the fall. So there's a spring grazing, a summer grain harvest, a summer bale uh, straw harvest, and then a late fall forage harvest, a uh, grazing harvest again. Sure. Pretty versatile, you know, uh, crop. And of course, mm -hmm. um, after that grain harvest happens in uh, late July, early August, uh, there's an opportunity to spread manure. And um, Caleb has a, a neighboring dairy farm that has liquid manure. And those acres that he has dedicated to Kernza are available for that neighbor to spread liquid manure on. And that's what Caleb has done. So, you know, there's the, the, those windows of opportunity for, for moving manure off of these uh, confined cattle operations that are near, a very important asset in the community, uh, agricultural community. So that's uh, one of the other, you know, features, I think, of Kernza that we often forget about. Is it provides that opportunity for, for uh, manure spreading. So we collected all the information uh, in terms of the forage yields from Caleb's farm and from this other farm and the grain yields as well. Uh, we put values on those items. Uh, and then what we wanted to see was what was the, the total uh, revenue that flowed into the enterprise, if you will, into the Kernza enterprise. We collected all of the information uh, regarding uh, the costs that went into this, including land rent and seed and, and uh, you know, any weed control, fencing and water and grain harvest and straw harvest and any additional grazing costs and then any labor and management costs all associated with the, with the enterprise. And, um, and we put that together and determined if there was a net yield, uh, a net gain or not on the operation. What we found was that in, uh, growing Kernza can be pretty profitable. So on Caleb's farm was uh, at the end of the three-year period, we had $322 of net rep of profit per acre, net revenue per acre. And so that took into consideration. In fact, uh, one of the criticisms I got back was, well, why is your labor and management cost so high? Because we wanted to make sure that as a brand new crop, we took into consideration all of the extra time, you know, that Caleb put into trying to understand the market of all of this, uh, trying to learn about this brand new crop, which, you know, any new users, of course, are going to have to spend time on those things. And so, you know, in terms of the more traditional alfalfa, soy, corn, you know, small grain crops, those markets are really well developed and, and certainly don't require quite the same amount of time as what one would engage in if you're going to get into something brand new like Kernza. So I wanted to account for that. And even with that, the sort of these excess costs here and there throughout the enterprise budget and some of these very, very beginning, if I would call them, you know, initial price points on what the, the Kernza grain itself is right now valued at. And I think that value is actually just going to grow. But even at these initial price points, you know, we've got well over $300 per acre per year. And that includes, in fact, consider that that first year and a half, there is no revenue flowing into the project. 
right? I mean, you're, you're waiting yeah. until after August before you've got something to sell that first grain harvest, you know, um, you're, you're waiting a while before you see some money out of this thing. And when you do, yeah. and you average it back over the course of, from the very day he planted it to the, you know, the final day of this three-year project, the annual per acre net revenue was well over $300 per acre. And, and again, if I back out what, what we consider these high management costs, uh, labor and management to get this, to get this underway, you're looking at more than $450 per acre net revenue available to the enterprise per acre per year. So turns it can be very profitable, but but Jared, I want to, you know, caution listeners. I mean, I think get excited about Kernza. The, the environmental benefits we haven't even factored in here. Those environmental benefits are what really set it apart from everything else that we can grow out there, honestly. But just from the standpoint that that you know it can it can create that kind of annual net revenue flow, <clears throat> even at these early price points, is intriguing, frankly, and well worth looking at. Caution I give is that it's a brand new market. Caleb will attest to this as well. It's a if you if you still got hair on your head, you might pull most of it out trying to figure out what you're going to do with the turns of crop. Um, there's Caleb. <laughs> he's showing us that he's got a, he's got some of that gone. <laughs> anyway, um, it's you know so so there's some concerns there, and of course the market is is developing in terms of what sort of weed control. Uh, options are available to growers. It's important to, to, to mitigate those, you know, broadleaf annual leaf, weeds early uh, in that growing cycle of Kernza to really get a good crop. And so, so there's some things that, you know, need to be thought about and, and take into consideration. Uh, I don't want listeners to think, oh my goodness, plant Kernza, plant Kernza forever and ever. And, and yes, plant Kernza, start slow, uh, get into the market, get involved and, and connected to the, the folks that are that are really trying to make this thing happen. So Wow. Well that that's incredible. And and I'm curious on a couple of follow-up questions. Uh because I know you, you talked about the weed pressure. You talked about Caleb's access to manure. You know, Caleb, I'm curious or you were intentional about not wanting this to look like a monocrop and look like, you know, just straight one crop, one everything and stuff. Talk about that intentional and maybe how that affected things. And, and then I'm curious if in this profitability and expensive, that manure and fertility that you were ac- had access to was valued in there as an expense, uh, as you have kind of that un- unfair advantage maybe, or, you know, with that, with that neighboring dairy needing a place to go with it. Well, before, before Caleb answers on that, Jared, I'll just jump on and say, yes, we did put a cost on that manure that flowed onto the fields without a doubt. Okay. Wow. And, and to your first point, Jared, <clears throat> yes, we, I, I, I told Al early on that I didn't want to trade one monoculture for another, mm-hmm. even though this one I, I would agree is better uh, in terms, if I'm going to have a, a monoculture, I guess I'd rather have a perennial based monoculture, but the, 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 the field that the Kernza currently resides in, it was, previously in our in a multi-species mix and for a few couple of years and so it it, it had some it had some clo- uh, some clovers and some alfalfa in there and we did do a, a burn down pass on that that crop ground before we planted uh, the Kernza and we got some obviously we had 
we got the Kernza established and we had a little bit of pressure. We came back the following spring, hit it one more time with 24D. And the result, we have a we have a crop that's, you know, predominantly Kernza, but we we have, you know, red clover, some alfalfa, some dandelions, some little bit of, you know, there's some grass, other grasses in there as well. You know, so we've got it. We have a, a bit of diversity in the mix. I'm, I was happy to see that we, you know, we didn't simply end up with a monoculture crop. We, we did no, t- you know, because we are no till. So we, we no till planted the kerns when we established it as well. So all of which, you know, at the time we didn't really have many folks to consult with on, you know, is this going to work? But we kind of jumped in head first and, and went for it. Well, I'm curious now with your three years experience in Caleb, when you hear the kind of the results in that net profitability, I mean, you've got experience raising hay, raising corn, raising soybeans, raising just cattle on perennials and stuff. How do, how do you think of Kernza as it plays in your rotation? Do you see it as being a vital part of it in the future? Do you compare it to others and, and wonder if it's worth the hassle? I mean, share share your thoughts. Sure, sure. Um, it's it, It'll definitely be a part of our enterprise moving forward. The biggest issue that I see right now is the, is the marketing. You know, mm-hmm. when... Alan talks about, you know, the need to, to establish the market or the market. The market is really in its infancy. Infancy might be, <laughs> it's, it's, it's at its conception. Um, sure. it, it, uh, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of players involved. And um, the, the issue is, is, you know, anytime, you know, you, you are trying to develop this, you know, something like this, you know, to have enough available crop to to make a food product out of it or uh you know at some mass scale there's ebbs and flows with supply and demand and i think right now that's that's the biggest pain point when i see when i see kernza i love everything about it i love the fact that we can graze it i love i love the fact that we can come back and and harvest that crop and and then come back and graze it again, and and then of course we get the straw off of it. So, I um, that's the the biggest issue that I see at the moment. But mm-hmm. with time, you know, no doubt that will that the market will surely grow. Yeah, we could talk a little bit about the market piece if you'd like. There's certainly a lot on the horizon uh, <clears throat> in terms of developing that demand side on growing Kernza. There's still a lot to learn about growing Kernza, uh, and there's been a, quite a connection of growers uh, throughout Minnesota and, frankly, the upper Midwest uh, in terms of learning about how to grow Kernza. But then there's also been a tremendous connection between growers to help market that Kernza. And, in fact, at Caleb Anderson's farm here in, in July, uh, the group of growers from across Minnesota formed what's called the Perennial Promise Growers Cooperative. Uh, they signed the Articles of Incorporation on July 28th at Caleb's place. So uh, it is a functioning organization, you know, uh, run by Kernza growers. And, and the whole effort is to develop that Kernza demand side. You know, collectively market grain and, you know, de- work with building that supply chain, both on the supply side, but then also building that demand side of the equation 
lining up companies that are interested in processing Kernza. And, you know, Kernza can be used in brewing processes and baking processes. And frankly, the baking side is where the real promise is. So just a couple of small things that we have going. Uh, we're going to be working with a grower near Chatfield, Minnesota. His name's Paul Novotny to market some of his grain uh, through a, a direct food marketing company called uh, Big Red Barn. Uh, you probably know them. And uh, so we'll be getting some of this Kernza pancake mix into about 400 households uh, later this fall yet. We're working on a Kernza festival for next year in June in Lake City. Uh, we're working with a group called the Lake Pepin Legacy. Uh, yeah, Lake, Lake Pepin Legacy Alliance. Lake, I got that right. Caleb, maybe you know that group better than I do. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right. Yep. And so uh, we're working on a Kernza festival there next year. And just hmm. uh, there's also a Kernza festival that's being in, uh, planned for St. Peter. And these Kernza events that have been happening, you know, over the last couple of years have been really, really gaining interest by people. An event over in Madison, Minnesota was attended by about 200 people, for example. Uh, there was a, an event. In, yeah, there was an event in St. Peter. Uh, where they sent out by invitation, 25 people uh, were invited to come. 75 people showed up. At, you know, just was supposed to be a small field event. And then, you know, at Caleb's at Caleb's place, uh, we had about 40 people respond and say, "Yeah, we'll be to the event." And 80 people showed up at the event. You know, at a, at a Kearns of focused event at Caleb's farm. So there's a lot of interest in this Kearns of market. It's not just local. The folks at the University of Minnesota tell us that they're getting calls from all around Europe. There's one of the folks that comes on the phone call uh, frequently from the uh, United Kingdom. So, you know, we have, you know, just a lot of interest, frankly, worldwide in, in growing Kernza. I'm excited about it. I think uh, we all should be. And again, frankly, just the fact that we can grow a new crop and market something other than corn and soybeans, I think is, you know, refreshing, frankly, um, but something that, that, that holds with it the tremendous environmental benefits like Kernza does is, is just pretty fantastic. We didn't even talk about the nitrate reduction potential that Kernza has compared to corn, for example. The, the results at the University of Minnesota are just astounding. Well, I'll attest to the marketability of it. I remember at Caleb's event, they had both uh, curtains of beer available as well as some bars. And I have right in front of me uh, uh, for a project I'm a part of this. They sent us all a trial of a curtains of bar here. So I've been enjoying this at work here <laughs> for the last hour, couple hours. Um, but it is exciting. And, and I know I kind of mentioned it earlier when I remember that meeting when Caleb and I first heard about it at that thing. And I, you know, I think honestly, at the time, I kind of blew it off. I was like, sure, yeah, you know, that sounds great. You know, how cool would it be to have a perennial grain crop? But what's the reality? You know, that's not realistic. I mean, how will that ever compete with corn and beans and all these things? And and I appreciate that there are people like you two who won't just look at something that shows potential and blow it off like I did, but we'll jump into it and we'll, we'll give it a shot. You know, Caleb, that, that took acres, you know, out of your, your farm business that you depend on for an income and you were willing to set aside and, and make a trial run at it, whether it was a complete failure or whether it was a success. And so I appreciate the work you've done and the work that Alan, you're doing with the Clean Rivers partnership um, or Clean River partnership. 
it it really gives me hope i guess just for the future of agriculture knowing that there's people out there doing things like this and jake junger is up at the university of minnesota and they're working on other projects like the the camelina that you had mentioned earlier and different things that we can use to diversify our farm businesses and, and our farm production models and stuff so it's really exciting i want to give you both an opportunity to maybe share Alan, if there's anything you want to plug, any field days or website or information, and then and then Caleb after Alan on your farm where people can find you for more information or to learn more about what you're doing. And, and before actually that, I will mention uh, Caleb Anderson was the highlight of one of our soil health case studies that are highlighted on our website, sfa-mn.org. So go and check that out. We got a great, great story that we did on his farm last summer. So if you want to learn more about him, check that out. But I'll give you both an opportunity to to share now well i'll go first caleb because i want them to hear from the the real guy last Um, (laughs) as you probably know jared there's um called the soil health management summit i believe that's the university of minnesota extension program over in mankato on december 14th and 15th i've been working with one of caleb's neighbors uh ed mcnamara and and three other farmers on planting corn in wide rows and growing cover crops. So uh, creating these solar corridors uh, and growing cover crops, interseeding in spring and growing a lot of forage. Uh, as you can tell, I've got a bit of a dairy background. I'm interested in forage. And so uh, we're going to, Ed and I are going to be talking on December 15th about that project, another Minnesota Department of Ag funded project. Uh, and um, I think we're on in the afternoon time. So I'll give a plug to that, December 15th at uh, Mankato. Awesome. And your website, do you have a website for your organization or anything? If people, yes, I don't uh, know if it's a membership-based organization or anything, but. Yeah, so sorry. It is a membership-based organization. Uh, you can go on cleanriverspartners.org. So cleanriverpartners.org. Uh, and you can check out our conservation program and all of the other work that we're doing there. Yeah. Well, hey, Jared, first of all, I just want to thank you for, for having having me on and and. and Alan, thank you for joining. It's it's an honor to be on on the podcast and and appreciate it. <clears throat> As I mentioned earlier, you know our I guess our centerpiece that that you know we have on our, on our farm is is just our our beef. So we market all our beef through Bell Creek cattle. We don't have a, a website. We just uh, so <laughs> something I need to work on. just through facebook it's a journey like you said it's it's all a journey yeah absolutely absolutely is actually we had a i had a a customer that wants to to set one up for me because i think you feel sorry for me so that's that's fine (laughs) but yeah um just just wanted to say thanks and and appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast dirt rich is produced by the sustainable farming association We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.